0: Ryan here. We are in the middle of a series in the book of Mark, and it is the middle of May. And for some of you um, just joining us, you're just checking out this church. We're really glad you're jumping online. Uh, Our rhythm for meeting right now, currently, at least through the summer, is we meet in clusters of homes uh, all around the city. And we get together once a month for all of us coming together to uh, worship together, to pray together, to see each other, to let the kids run around. It's just, it's, we're doing that again here in June. And here's the thing. I know many of you have busy summers. The um, awakening of uh, the lifting of some of the regulations and you're able to see family. Uh, Many of you are vaccinated Um, We got to take masks off in many places this week. Um, It's just a great week. But for many of you, in your mind is travel, is camping, is uh, yard projects, whatever. But my encouragement and my challenge to you is don't give up meeting together. Yeah, I get we've got trips here and there, but Um, don't don't push a giant pause button on this community this summer. Right now, there are a few house churches forming brand new, and there are a few movements of house churches and people to try to make accommodate things. And so I want to encourage you to jump in if you're not in a house church, if you want to open your home, just host one. Um, If you want to help organize one, if you just want to be a part of one, On our website, on our homepage, there's a link that says join a house church. Um, And we want to make sure that you have the ability to do that. We will help connect you with many house churches. I think we have eight. We're going to probably go to nine or ten in the next few weeks. So we want you to be a part of that. Jump in, be a part. Um, I want to encourage you. The stories coming out of house churches are, are really great. And so we want you to be a part of that. So when we get started here, I have a little show-and-tell. Um, a few months ago, Jaden, our student director, got—someone um, gave him this handy tract. Now, if you don't know what this is, this is a very 1980s way to uh, share the story of Jesus with people that you don't know. Um, I hate these. Um really I really hate these with like my whole body. I hate these. Now, I know that was a strong statement and I'm used to uh you hearing strong statements from me. Um I have this thing about being opinionated. I uh, I'd like to say I'm working on it, but in this case I feel justified. Um so it starts off with are you a good person? And um you know, this Lays out the story, uh, I guess, a version of the story of Scripture and Jesus and salvation. And uh, there's a few problems with it. Uh, One, there's no relationship. All right. So this gentleman, uh, probably well-meaning, Saw Jaden and probably thought, man, this guy really needs Jesus. Uh, Turns out he already has a great relationship with Jesus. Um, But uh, he saw Jaden and instead of having a relationship, getting to know him, hearing his story, he just hands him this. Right. And so there's this awkward exchange. There's this like, hey, uh, I'm going to hand you this and then I'm going to get out of your life. um, And I feel like I've done my part to uh, help you to know God. Um, second problem with this is this is a tremendously small version of the story of scripture and God's redemption. Um, and what's worse is it concentrates on the individual. It's very individualistic. It's about me and getting to heaven and I can't do it by being a good person. So that's why Jesus came. And the other thing it does is it really misunderstands heaven and earth. And it really twists things up and doesn't give really an accurate presentation of what God is doing and up to through his broken creation. And so we're going to get into that, but I'm going to just set this down because it makes me mad. Um, Listen, many of us have had to work on rethinking how we believe what we believe and what we've kind of been formed to believe throughout our lives. Some of you grew up going to church and you did the Sunday school thing and and over time you heard the story of Jesus. You heard the story of sin and wrath and salvation and heaven and hell and um, you have had actually come to a place in your life where you're reworking that. You're just laying out all the puzzle pieces and you're like, does this fit still? What What is going on here? Some of you are really questioning the things that you grew up with in church, especially in light of the events this last year, especially in light of um, some of the things that the pandemic has brought to the surface in the lives of churches and people who claim to follow Jesus. Some of you right now are feeling actually a little bit defensive just by this tract and um, the things that you've read in Scripture and in your interpretation of Scripture um, that have been challenged this year—they've um, been challenged by family members, by friends, by me—and um, and so you you're my, maybe a little bit on your heels and a little defensive today. I just want you to encourage to encourage you that part of this journey of following Jesus is many course corrections, many times that we're challenged. Um, In a sense, by Jesus himself saying, no, not that way, this way. This happens to the disciples all the time. Jesus is constantly correcting them, constantly challenging them, constantly uh, rebuking them for not having faith, for actually thinking one thing when it's actually clearly another. And for many of us, if we're just honest, um, there's many times in our lives that we've had to do that. And there will be many times to come. And so, if you spend time with people who have followed Jesus for a long time, uh, chances are they'll get very honest with you about the places in their lives where they've had it wrong. Not only that, but the places in their lives, but uh, that they've had it wrong, and by having it wrong, they've actually formed a system or formed a, an expectation for people in their lives that really hurt them. Uh, so, for instance, for me, some of the things that I've struggled with and come to terms with over the course of my life is that Scripture wasn't written for me. Right? When I read Scripture, it's not about me. Um, you know, in, in some of my upbringing, um, in the church circles I was a part of, we were taught to read Scripture and, and look for what God was trying to tell us personally. But that's not what scripture is. Scripture is about learning who God is and us adjusting to that. That's just one simple little thing. The other one is, is my uh, mental formulation based on culture, church, um, and a lot of different um, it, it inputs in my life. Uh, my my perception of heaven and earth. Um, and the reason why I say this is the counterpart in scripture Uh, is never heaven and hell. It's always heaven and earth. And if you don't believe me, I want you to go to BibleGateway.com and I want you to just type in in the search bar, heaven and hell. You will not find a verse that has heaven and hell in the same verse. You will not find one. And so heaven and earth are created together. They're torn by rebellion. And God's project, God's ultimate goal, is the reunification of heaven and earth. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Read Revelation 21 and 22. These are the bookends of the story. This is the broke. The, the, what God's intention was and what God's final movement is for heaven and earth. And the last one is this idea of old creation and new creation. So those first two, when I talk about scripture, it's not about me. That's like a whole sermon in and of itself. The the heaven and earth part, that is like a whole series of sermons in and of itself. So some of you are like, I kind of want that. Well, you're not getting that. Um, The other one for me is old creation, new creation. See, I I I internalize this when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm reading these lists in the New Testament about uh, the sexually immoral and, and, um, you know, don't be greedy and all these things. um, Really, uh, Christianity, following Jesus was a a list of don'ts. It was um, this idea of staying in the right lane of my life so that God would actually talk to me and help me. Um, and and I would keep God happy. Um, this is a version of something we've talked about called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic means you stay moral, you do the good things, you don't do the bad things. God will be involved in your life and help you when you need him. But ultimately, God was separate. He didn't. He didn't really care. He didn't really intervene as much. So you could go about your daily life. And this is um, this is a whole series of sermons too, but it's actually something we're going to talk about today a little bit more. Because back to Mark, remember, Mark is the account, is an account, one of the earliest accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. And Mark is a brilliant writer, and we've been in Mark for a while. We started it uh, uh, basically January of 2020. We took a break, we come back to it. We're in Mark chapter 7 today, but remember back at the beginning of Mark, the beginning of it starts like this. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mark just starts off, this is the account, this is the beginning of the good news of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. And then uh, a little bit further in in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, it's Jesus, his own words saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And and you you know, we've been talking about this word repent, that it means actually to turn, to have another uh, way of seeing the world, a whole new way of seeing the world, a whole new orientation. Repent, turn that way and go that way because the kingdom of God is near. What's interesting is at the end of Mark's account, So the beginning, he talks about this this idea that in the beginning, the good news of Jesus, Son of God. The last part of Mark, the last verse of Mark. It says, And when this centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. So Mark has this bookend at the beginning and at the end about the announcement of the Son of God. And what's interesting is, is that the gospels, the the accounts of Jesus, actually take place within this whole narrative structure of what God is doing in the world. And all of scripture is telling the story. We get the story started in Eden, and there's a fracture of heaven and earth, and then there's this, basically, a rescue operation through Abraham and and through um, the, the tabernacle about God being close to his people. And there, there, there's this group of people called the Israelites that God has chosen uh, not to be special, that more special than everybody else, but to actually be a conduit by which God actually works in the world. They were to be a blessing to every nation. And this is why there are so many... Uh, of these purity rituals, about being uh, holy and set apart and, uh, and by being uh, obedient to God, right? And we have all these things in the Old Testament. Now, you fast forward to the end of the Old Testament, and it's God desiring to rescue this group of people that were supposed to be his chosen people being a blessing to the rest of the world, and how God's actually on a rescue mission because they have actually become polluted and god's prox- project to redeem all of humanity is actually in jeopardy and so the question is how will this is the big question at the end of the old testament how will yahweh how will god restore his people and in the gospels we get the answer and the answer is through jesus and so we're building up to the very center of Mark's gospel. Mark has this way of writing that is almost like Pyramidic. So it starts off the Son of God, ends with the Son of God, and we're getting towards the center, the climax really, of the story, the main point of the story. And we are in chapter 7, verse 1, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees and some, teach, some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus has been traveling from town to town. He has been healing, he has been teaching, he has been kind of um, rebuking and helping the disciples to try to figure out who he is. He's been trying to reveal himself to the disciples And, and the crowds have been huge and there's been lots happening everywhere he goes. But now the Pharisees, remember back in chapter two, they were like, who's this guy? He he can't forgive sins. What's this guy's deal? And so it says they've gathered around Jesus. And this is like an ancient practice of, of, of questioning, of interrogating. The way they would do this was circle around. You've got Pharisees and you've got teachers of the law here. And so we're taking a break from the stories of Jesus as he's confronted by Pharisees. Verse 2, and and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So um, they they saw the disciples and they're like, ooh, that's gross. Um, They're eating and they haven't washed their hands. This is not like, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you're at a restaurant and and you see someone uh, who's left the bathroom without washing their hands. As gross as that is. This is not ultimately what this is talking about, okay? Um, You know, we've all had to learn how to wash our hands better during COVID. And even at this church down here in the bathroom, there's this little thing on the mirror that says, um, it takes this long to wash your hands, so read this psalm while you're washing your hands. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. The point is that that's not what the Pharisees are talking about here. The, the, The whole idea is about ritual cleansing, okay? It's not about hygiene, Eh, kind of, but it's more about ritual cleansing. And um, what's happening here is it says in verse 3, this is like the longest like parenthetical note in the Gospels. It says the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. We'll talk about that here in a second. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, why is it from the marketplace? Well, the marketplace is where Jews and Gentiles actually traded goods. So the thinking was, as a good Jewish person, that coming from this place where you could have inadvertently made contact with a Gentile, you pick up an apple, decide not to buy it, put it down, And you're a Gentile. Well, a Jew picks up that same apple and either buys it or puts it back down. They are ceremonially unclean because they've touched something that a Gentile has touched. And so what happened was, is the the laws of the teachers, the tradition of the elders, meant that we are going to create an atmosphere where no defiling of the Jewish nation happens. Okay. And um, what's interesting is there's a little note in my Bible that if you were to look at that and scroll down, it actually says that they washed their dining couches too. So they made sure to wash their hands. They washed everything before they ate because they didn't want to be defiled. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food and with defiled hands? So They're trying to make Jesus look bad by making his disciples look bad. And so the tradition of the elders is really a set of rules, okay, that were formed around scripture, and it added them to the scripture for authoritative purposes in regular life. So it added authoritative regulations to the actual Torah, and like, for instance, Uh, The Torah was meant to be restful. I mean, sorry, Sabbath was meant to be restful. And it grew into a couple of hundred rules for how to do the Sabbath. Does that sound restful at all? And so they, they have these ritual purity laws that were for Levites in the Old Testament. So 12 tribes of Israel, Levites were meant to be the ones who were the priests, that they would offer sacrifices at the temple Um, And in many ways, they were called holy, but that word holy actually means more of a functional uh, version of the word, not a spiritual version of the word, meaning they were they were set apart and they were distinct, but they weren't um, more special than farmer Israelite. Okay, and so but what happened was is in the tradition of the elders that the laws for the Levites entering the temple and preparing sacrifice became laws for everybody Having dinner. It's kind of ridiculous. But you can see over thousands of years time. I mean the first. It escalated. So it made perfect sense at the time. At the time it was a symbol. Of, of, of cleansing ourselves. To, to become part of. What God was doing. And to be obedient. Um, and it transforms into something. Escalates something thousands of years later. Into a first century. Practice for every meal of the day. In fact, there are some notes that says if you come in contact with a Gentile, you're actually supposed to strip down, burn your clothes, and bathe. Which is so weird because the Old Testament talks about the people of Israel being a blessing to all nations. They were supposed to be a light and a blessing to the Gentiles, and they became fearful and rule followers. So Jesus is going after these man-made traditions because they've circled them up and they're attacking his disciples. And so he goes after it and he goes after, he doesn't go after all tradition. It's not like all tradition is bad, but he uses two different angles to come back at them. One is tradition. The other one is what it means to actually be clean. And it says that he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So this is the first time, actually, it's not nice nice Jesus, right? Um, Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been feeding people. Jesus has been teaching people. And this is like one of the first times he gets angry. And he calls them hypocrite, which is the only time in the Gospel of Mark. And he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human tradition. So think about this. These two words, let go, means you have utterly rejected, you've thrown away the commands of God, and you have gripped, you have white-knuckle gripped human tradition. You have clung to, you have put your faith in, you have uh, uh, organized your whole life around rules. So what Jesus says. It says he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God, in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, we'll get to that in a second, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So this idea is a tradition. Um, This is a whole other teaching. I know I'm giving you about 10 different possible sermons today, but this is a whole other teaching about how the Pharisees would declare something Corban and off limits for helping people in their life. So you were meant to be, if you were the oldest in the family, uh, oldest earner, so to speak, you were to care for everybody, north of you, in age, and south of you. In age, And what this did was this was a little known law that they twisted out of scripture, um, this idea of declaring something offered to God, um, that God supersedes everything else, you know, kind of a thing that you could take your money, you could take your land, you could take something and declare it for God. And so you couldn't use it to help others. And Jesus like just gets Adam for this. And he says, you do a lot of other things like this, too. Uh, he he's like I could give you a whole bunch of examples of the way you use scripture and twist it for your own benefit and your own opportunity um that you use traditions over scripture for your own agenda and and no we don't do this anymore right we don't we don't adjust scripture for our own comfort do we you know what's interesting is um what are the hard things about being a pastor is that I, um, if, you don't have to do this, but I tend to read things that are hard, right? I love history. Um, I love wrestling with things that um, I used to think were right. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. For instance, in the history of the church, uh, the church, if you can agree with me on this, um, you may not, which we should just do a history lesson, but the church has blown it. In so many ways over the years. Why? Because we're human beings and we're selfish and we're power hungry and we're prideful and we're all those things. Um, We still live in this whole mindset of old creation. Now, what's interesting is I have a, a friend of mine I knew in college and we drifted apart since college. But his name is Matthew Sutton. And he has written a number of books on history, especially the history of different movements within the Christian church. And he wrote a book a couple of years ago called American Apocalypse, and it's the history of modern evangelicalism. And what, I mean, there's some good things in there too about it, but he says one of the main things that we need to come to grips with as the people of God is how in our history, in the forming of some of our most uh, special Christian movements, that we actually used scripture... To continue the oppression of people who were different, specifically African Americans, and in the 1920s, I mean, this is after the Civil War, but and that was a whole different thing. slavery, emancipation, and and how scripture was used to uh, promote that and defend slavery in the South. and that's a whole other sermon because it has to do with uh, neoliberalism and a whole bunch of different things. But we're not going to get into that. The point is, is that in the 1920s, when a lot of these evangelical movements and groups were forming all around the country, there was teaching from Scripture that was focused in on some of these people groups in the Old Testament in linking African-Americans to those groups of people in the Old Testament as somehow God was punishing them. Horrific stuff. Totally ignoring Galatians and a lot of the New Testament teachings that talk about the, the people of God being from all races, barbarians, Scythians, everybody, Jews, Gentiles. Totally ignoring some, highlighting others. And we just have to acknowledge that that is in the history of our churches. And we need to repent from that. We need to move on from that. We need to do things that create openness and inclusion and multi-ethnic diversity, even in the fact that we're in Arvada and it's mostly white. So that's just one kind of thing where we've used scripture in the past um, to uh, prop up human tradition that hurts people. The second one is this, uh, it's a theology. It's like a 150-year-old theology called dispensationalism. And it came from a guy named John Darby. um, And he immigrated here from the UK. And, you know, in the midst of America, uh, industrial revolution and people um, gaining property and land and things like this, there's a huge emphasis on the end times and how do I stay safe? How do I stay comfortable um, in America? And how do I avoid suffering? And so a whole theology was based around this. It comes from dispensational theology, which basically takes different ages within the life of scripture and says God works differently within them. Well, what happens is, is there's a natural outcome. And the natural outcome is a belief in an end times that says that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be whisked away into the clouds and you won't have any suffering. It's just one of the many things that is tricky about this. And you won't have You'll miss out on suffering and you'll be whisked away to with heaven. And that's the whole heaven and earth thing that's kind of messed up. A whole group of books came out of this called the Left Behind series. And all of this, and I'll just be honest, if I'm making you mad right now, I'm sorry, but I I just feel like we've got to wrestle with some things. We have to wrestle with the tradition of the elders. Okay? And and, and this is how we kind of form scripture to say the things that we want it to say. Now, here's the thing. What I know is this. Following Jesus means, okay, not having Jesus fit into my life, the life I want. Following Jesus means adjusting our lives to the scriptures, not adjusting scripture to our lives. And if we fail to honor scripture in community with each other, we, we actually fail to worship God. And we need each other to do this. We need each other to open the pages of the gospel and Read it and try to read it and listen to it and hear from it and have it impact us, not from our economics, not from our race, not from our suburban, you know, you know, middle class lives, but from what Jesus and what God is trying to tell us through the spirit. And the other thing is, I think this following Jesus means it it requires an intimate relationship with God. Uh, sometimes I think this little track basically says, "Hey, man, you just do a few things. You pray a prayer, and, and you're good. You're you're going to be whisked away. You're going to go up into heaven. Um, and just you know, try not to screw up too bad from now to then. Go to church, give some money, read your Bible. But I think we miss the whole point and the whole purpose of what our lives are to be." All through the Old Testament, God just wanted to be with his people. He wanted them to live out his his schema, his his plan for the world. And he wants that still for us today. Our hearts, uh, just like the Israelites' hearts, can be far from him. The purpose is not this formal compliance piece. God actually just wants, Jesus wants our hearts. And the purpose is not a rule book or principles for a better living. It's a relationship with God, the the God of the universe, seen in the life of Jesus. And it's out of that relationship that we have new creation. We have a new creation type life. So real quick, before I get off track, back to the original question and this final mini parable of Jesus. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him. So he was surrounded by the Pharisees, but now he pulls the crowd into this as well. And he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. He's like, lean in. You got to get this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. This is huge news. I mean, this is a whole sermon here. I mean, we can, (laughs) but this is huge news. And it says, after he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. They're like, wait a second. Like, we made it through uh, level one schooling when it comes to the Jewish law. But even we know that you're not supposed to eat certain things. So they start questioning him at this house. And he says, Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So he's talking about, you know, they were focused on these food laws and ritual cleanse, you know, being ritual clean. And and he's like, this isn't the issue. The heart is the issue. The stomach isn't. The heart is. And then he went on. It says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, um, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Here's a list. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The story of scripture is about old creation and new creation. If you were to read the gospels, if you were to read uh, Paul in the New Testament, he talks about this all the time. There's many lists like this list that Jesus gave. Many of us have looked at this list as like, don't do that. Don't do murder. Don't do malice. Don't do, don't do these things. When really what's happening is this is a heart issue. When we are rescued, when we are forgiven from our, uh, our sin, our, our missing God's intention for our lives, we are invited to be new creation. That's what the resurrection is. Okay? that's what jesus is moving towards in his in his life and his death and his resurrection that one day you and i okay will have resurrected bodies that we will be resurrected that we will be living the uh, in a sense the functionality that god created us at the beginning in the garden but that day's not yet but we get tastes of it and we are beckoned, we are invited into living a life, uh, uh, pushing away old creation, as Paul calls it, the flesh, and living into new creation. That we are, uh, abs- this is 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. that we are new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And so ultimately what this is about, old creation is me-centered, it's full of pride, it's full of envy, it's full of of trying to get ahead of other people. It's full of labeling people. It's full of dividing people up into categories. It's full of of me having thoughts about people that aren't cool. It's 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 all those things. That's old that's me-centered old creation. And I got to be honest with you. I've been tripping over old creation all week. You know, Sunday, uh, Monday, sorry, showed up at the gym. You don't have to have a mask. So you can wear a mask if you want, but you don't have to. And so I'm I'm busting around there without a mask. And I begin to catch glances of Angela, my wife, and she's just like, what's wrong with you? Like, we're, I'm like across the gym. And really what it was is my face was was portraying my attitude towards other people in the gym my mask could could, could cover it my mask had been covering it for months in fact i think my facial expressions increased through the mask i covered it up but now the mask was off and if i saw a guy using the squat rack and he wasn't using the squat rack he was using it to stretch that makes me mad. My face showed it. And there's other instances in my life. I was at a group of pastor gathering, and I just felt insecure, and I felt puffed up, and I felt arrogant at times. And there were some ways that I treated Angela this week that were selfish, deceitful even. Like, it, like if I'm really honest, I, I still just trip all over old creation, Ryan. But man, what if I could make a list of religious practices that kept me from really thinking about that or showing you that? What if there were some other masks I could put on that could keep that, in a sense, at bay? If I were to tell you about Jesus... In this kind of old way, I used to tell people about Jesus, you know, this way, I would tell you things that you probably will agree with. Um, the old story is put your faith and trust in Jesus, you as an individual, your sins are forgiven, you are restored to a right relationship with God, and you are guaranteed an eternity with God. So what do you do now? You go to church. You read your Bible. You vote for a Supreme Court justices, whatever. That's a joke. But I just want to be honest with you. Now I couldn't give a 30-second gospel presentation to you like, and really feel good about it. I know there's some groups out there that Have some cool slogans and some word pictures. But I couldn't give you a 30-second Twitter version of the gospel of the good news of who Jesus is uh, without feeling bad about it. It would take relationship. And I want to tell you the story. Here's what I would want to do. I'm just going to kind of close my eyes and focus here. I would want to tell you the story of the creation of fall of of redemption and restoration. I want to want to tell you the story, the whole story of scripture and how the crucifixion and the and the resurrection fits into that. That's what I would want to do. I would want to tell you that you are an image bearer of the creator with purpose and creation in your DNA and that God through Jesus is inviting you into a surrendered life Uh, of new creation making with other human beings, I would want to tell you that there is complete forgiveness and restoration offered to you. And there's, but there's a whole lot of difficulty and sacrifice in the decision to follow Jesus. That it's not a, it's not an add on to your life and that the end game is a reconciling of heaven and earth. The place where God's will is done with the place that right now God's will is not being done. That's what I would want to tell you. mean, I would want to hear your hurts and frustrations about all that that is. And let me just tell you this. What is a church at its best? This is for us, restoration, especially in house churches right now. It's a group. Let me ask you this. Is it a group of people who are hiding and covering up uh, their old creation patterns and habits and pretending to be religious in front of each other? No, it's not what it is. It's, it's a group of people embracing new creation, like pushing into new creation identity finding their, their way into new creation habits and patterns together. That's what it is. And the only way to work this out is with patience, with the very people that drive you crazy. With people who maybe parent their kids differently or have a different version of politics or have a different way of of speaking and using their words or people who bug you or have different ideas than you. That's how we work out new creation together. The church is supposed to be a people and a place where new creation is practiced. That's where it's supposed to be. And that's why we worry about a single dad living in a hotel room with his two boys because he can't make ends meet. That's why we do that. That's why we uh, open up our dinner tables to people who are far from Jesus and think very differently than us and look very differently than us. That's why we lament unfair practices and systems that exclude people and step on people economically. And it's why we have to be vigilant. And this is how we gather. We are vigilant against the subtle forces like individualism, consumerism, and the so-called American dream that really kind of are antithesis to following Jesus. And I know I'm getting kind of feisty here, but guys, the the Pharisees made it all about them. And they were human beings just like us. And we end up making it all about us because the new creation project, you got to understand, is following Jesus. And because following Jesus is the best way way to be fully human. It's how God initially intended us to be. And humans with resurrection in their future who live by the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so this morning, um, if you are just overwhelmed, if you are frustrated, if you are tired of running the religious game, Jesus invites you. So, this is a little part in Matthew, and this is out of Eugene Peterson's translation of Scripture. He says this Jesus says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy named N.T. Wright. And and I came across this quote. Um, It comes out of one of my favorite books of his called The Day the Revolution Began. And he says this, The work of salvation in its full sense, is about, one, whole human beings, not merely souls. Two, it's about the present, not simply the future. And three, it's about what God does through us, not merely what God does in us and for us. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And you are going to take communion in house church. And I'm just going to let you do it. I'm going to let you read together. I'm going to let you come at this together um, and, and, and do communion together, come to the table together as a group of people attempting to live new creation life and practice new creation right now in the midst of, you know, 2021, Arvada, Broomfield, wherever you are. What does it look like to come to the table as Jesus' disciples? What do we need to lay down? What do we need to come together on? How do we need to forgive each other? Let's do that at the table. God, we just thank you for this moment of our gathering, that we're together. God, I just pray as we enter into communion, that we enter into embracing new creation offered to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus came not for more rules and and to to put us in places where we had to you know just obey mindlessly, but that there's a whole there's a whole trajectory out of living this new creation life. That following Jesus is about life to the fullest, and yet it's full of sacrifice and surrender. God, show us how to do that. Show us how to do that together. Show us how to encourage each other. Show us how to be the community that you've called us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen.